This is Ian Sattler, Senior Story Editor at DCU. Hi, this is Nunzio DeFilippis. And Christina Weir. Hi, this is Kevin Vandal. Hi, this is Libra Mayo. Hi, this is Brian Ezraeli. Hi, this is Matt Wagner, author of Batman and the Monster Man and Batman and the Mad Monk. Hey, this is Mike Martz, Batman Group Editor. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybrook. My name is Neil Adams. And this is Paul Dini. And this is Robert Greenberger. And this is Jerry Robinson. Hey, this is uh, Will Spertaccio. This is Adam Beechin, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 59. I'm your host, Dustin, and today we have with us... You got Josh. This is Zach. This is Donovan. We are bringing you the comic news from dates of December 26th through January 8th, as well as the comic reviews from the comics that came out during those two weeks as well. So let's get right into comic news. The very first thing we've got is on December 28th, Comic Book Resources continued their Bat Signal segment with an interview with David Finch. As we know, Finch's current work, Batman the Dark Knight, kicks off the next day, December 29th, and we're going to cover two of the highlight questions from the interview. I will read for Comic Book Resources, and Josh will read for David Finch. How are you building the stories in The Dark Knight? We've seen four issues solicited that all seem to fit into the same arc. Will all of your stories on the series bigger epics, or will you play with some standalone stuff as you go? I'd always planned on staying with the title for a while, so I've got a six-issue arc as the first storyline, and I'm trying to make sure I've got some things that extend past that into my next story. I haven't really got that story planned out all the way, but I do have some of the broader parts. There were some things I would have liked to do right at the beginning, but editorial said, and I had to agree, that it would be better to save some of the really great stuff for the second six-issue arc and have something special there. So I've got a lot I'm very excited to have coming up in the book, and I'm already starting to hint at things and play up to them. Certain characters who are building towards things in the first arc. I'm trying as much as I can to plan ahead while finding out that my overall story is changing as I go, especially as I get input from other writers and editorial. In some ways, I feel like I'm just learning to do this job on the fly, so there are always changes. But broadly, my story is set well into the future. Everyone knew going in that your series would deal with the occult or some of the darker supernatural elements associated with the character. But it was a surprise for me to see you'd be playing with co-stars like Etrigan the Demon and Ragman. Did you have a wish list of guys you wanted to draw at DC or did you start with the supernatural theme and ask what characters fit that corner of DCU? I think a mixture of both, though I think the supernatural story really sprang from the characters I want to use rather than the other way around. I think Etrigan is a great character. There's a lot of potential with that character, and I want to explore him a bit. I love Neil Gaiman, and I certainly don't want to claim my book will have any Neil Gaiman in it, but I love the elements he's played with and want to do the same a little bit. Etrigan, more than any other character, really defines where I want to go with the book. Batman Dark Knight looks like it's going to have six-issue arcs. Now, I have to say, I can't remember the last time I've seen a six-issue arc in a book in the Batman universe, but that's interesting. The fact that he is planning on doing two of these arcs, which means we would get David Finch doing this book for at least a year, and that means they're probably guaranteed to last at least a year. Uh, we'll have to see what happens with that, because I'm uh, interested to know what's going to happen after that second six-issue arc. He's Marvel style, six issues, you know, right? Which, when I when I heard that in the interview, I was thinking, okay, writing for the trade, the usual six issues, story arc, boom, do it as a trade thing. As long as the content's good, I guess, I just hope that it's not going to be padded so that it's six issues every time. 
Yeah, that's also my concern. I think it's quite ambitious of him to decide to go with six issues. I will be surprised if he can keep it intriguing for that long. Other thing he mentioned that he feels like he's learning this on the fly. Well, I've got some comments about that when we get into the book later. But yeah, I'm really not sure about this title right now. I would be interested to know what story he was originally going to put in the first six-issue arc, because that was too big. I'm wondering, well, is he going to kill off all the supporting characters, or is Joker coming back? Or I was interested in that, but six issues, I predicted it probably will be very padded. Just that's how mainstream comics tend to be these days, but we'll see how it goes. All right, so that's going to bring us into our next bit of news. On January 5th, The Source posted up an announcement that Batman Beyond will be available both in print and in digital format on the same release date. Well, Jim Lee and DC Entertainment Senior Vice President of Digital, Hank Canalaz, had comments about the news. First, Batman Beyond was a critically acclaimed fan-favorite animated series that still has a large number of fans to this day, said Hank Canalaz. By releasing the ongoing comic series digitally, we're hoping we reach that audience and bring back any fans of the show who may be lapsed comics readers. This year's Batman Beyond comic book miniseries really caught on and the fan reaction to the character's return was so great that we decided to continue it as an ongoing series, said Jim Lee. As a publisher, we decided to up the ante even further by releasing Batman Beyond digitally day and date with print to ensure that we're reaching the broadest possible reader audience. So as we know, Batman Beyond number one is already in stores and already available in digital format. And we'll review that issue later on this episode. This is a twofold thing. On the one hand, uh, a lot of the criticism that I've seen about these uh, online services that both DC and Marvel have is, why would you pay for the service if you can't get the issues until a week or two or however long it is after their release? Then on the other hand, people were saying that they were glad that the digital services were doing that because it was a way of, quote unquote, saving the mom and pop comic stores. That way people wouldn't just buy them from online and not support their local shops. But uh, I think if people are going to buy it online it doesn't matter if they're going to do it the day it comes out or you wait it's it's not like somebody who is going to go to their store to buy it because the digital app doesn't have it for another few weeks so i only think that this is a good thing and this is going to help their digital stuff grow and years from now they're going to need this digital service in order to survive so good on them and i agree with all of that All right, the next bit of news from January 5th. The source posted up an art preview of an interior splash page from Batman Incorporated number 3. On top of that, Morrison shared a couple of hints of what is to come in the pages of Batman Inc. This is what he had to say. Bruce Wayne's back from the dead with barely a moment to catch his breath before he must prepare the battle of his life in Batman Inc. On the way towards his ultimate confrontation, Batman and El Gacho, Argentina's number one crime buster, face a terrifying new villain whose world-shaking master plan stretches across two decades, three countries, and three interlocked issues, which also feature Batwoman, a whole new team of British heroes, and the debut of the Batman of Africa, in a dark and twisted super espionage thriller. And waiting in the wings are team-ups with Chief of Man Bats, Batgirl, and a mind-blowing CGI adventure with Oracle, as piece by piece we learn the secrets of Batman Inc. and find out what Bruce is really up to. The question is, what is Bruce really up to? Because the fact that now Morrison is saying, you know, he's going on to fight the battle of his life, didn't know that was the case up until I read this. Well, that could just be hype for the people who write the solicitations. It's always the battle of his life and his greatest challenge in these things. I don't know if this is spoiling the end of Death of Oracle or whatever, but it says a mind-blowing CGI adventure with Oracle. So maybe that's a hint to that new status quo. Maybe that has something to do with that like thing that he showed her back in Batman The Return. But we'll see how it turns out. I mean, Japan was fun. 
Yeah, I, I find it interesting. It is a little annoying that series like, oh, what is Bruce really up to? Do these people have to like keep things from other people? I just find that a very a very old uh, comic book trope, but uh, it does sound interesting. All right, so the next thing we've got is on January 6th, The Source posted up a four-page preview of Batman number 706, and as we know, the issue will hit stores on January 12th. In addition to the preview, Tony Daniel also shared some remarks about his upcoming work on Batman, which he had to say, Batman in 2011 will prove rife full of challenges for Dick Grayson in Gotham City. While the Falcones are digging deeper into the business affairs of Gotham, someone has decided to help Two-Face return to glory. But are there ulterior motives at play? What role does does Riddler play in all of this, and what does he want out of it? And with Catgirl being more of a menace than a hero, will she work through her nine lives before Batman to save her from herself? Dick Grayson has a tough road ahead as Batman, but he'll forge ahead the best way he knows how, as guardian protector and savior of Gotham City. With this comment, so we got Two-Face is going to return, Riddler, we already know is back, don't know what he has to do, and there you have it folks, Catgirl will be in future issues. Yeah, that's that's definitely exciting. More cat girl. <laughs> I'm excited for that. Maybe it'll be a, a cat girl Enigma showdown in the future. I'm, I'm excited that he's using more of the supervillains, though. I think that's more appropriate in the Batman title than um. I think I said it before, I think I said it last time, but I, I just like that in the Batman title more than just kind of the crime family. I think you can do that in any other title, and it's fine to do it in Batman. But I just I feel more comfortable seeing Batman fight his supervillains in Batman than um the Falcones. But it sounds good to me. Sounds interesting. Alright, so the next thing we've got is also from January 6th, Source posted up a number of pieces of art from the upcoming Detective Comics number 873, and they also shared some hints from Scott Snyder of what to expect in the upcoming pages of Detective Comics. And this is what he had to say. In just the first few months of the new year, we'll be introducing you to a host of characters we're very excited about. Some like... Sonia Zuko, daughter of Tony Zuko, the man who killed Dick's parents, will be brand new. Others, like vicious gangster and pirate Tiger Shark, are reimaginings of colorful old foes. You'll even see our own twisted take on the clown prince of crime, and of course, you'll see a lot more of the character I'm very, very thrilled to write. Commissioner Jim Gordon's son, James Jr., who, after years away from Gotham, has recently returned with his own mysterious agenda, and who, if Barbara is to be believed, might be the one of the scariest such a pass ever to walk the Gotham streets. <laughs> I've got to say, you know, I'll, I'll get into this because I'm going to be reviewing Detective Comics later on. Snyder's on the right path. The fact that he's going to, you know, introduce a couple new characters, uh, reimagine some old characters, that sounds like something that another writer who, you know, we give high praise to, Grant Morrison, seems to do too, and there hasn't been very many occasions where Grant Morrison writes bad stories. So far, Snyder's on the right path, and I think he's headed for uh, a good run. Yeah, no, he hit the ground running with what he's got so far, and I like how he has these multiple threads going, you know, like Commissioner Gordon's son and the Crime Alley stuff, and now, you know, uh, stuff that we're going to be seeing in the future, like Sonya Zuko, that's got a lot of potential, so I'm, I'm liking this. Yeah, he hit the ground running, but he wasn't quick to bring in all of these characters. He kind of introduced us to the way he's going to write this world, and now that he's done that for a couple issues, it seems like now he's going to get things moving a little bit faster and bring in these new characters and old characters, so I'm very excited. I love what he's doing in Detective now, especially how he's using the backup story as a way to sort of fully flesh out the main story, Whether even though it's like a different, those are two different plots. I'm not so excited to hear that Tony Zuko has a daughter. If that's already established, I guess I can't complain too much, but that, I don't know, that, that, that sounds really cheesy to me, but he's done good so far, so I really can't, I really can't talk much until I see it. 
Alright, moving on to our next bit of news, also from January 6th. The source posted out some comments from both David Finch and Mike Martz about The Dark Knight. Donovan will read for David Finch, and Josh will read for Mike Martz. So first up, we have David Finch. Batman is a global brand with corporate funding and vigilante operations worldwide, but Bruce has been fighting for Gotham City his whole adult life, and he can't walk away that easily. Gotham's villains band together to remind him who his real enemy is, and his friends need him more than ever. Batman is building an empire, but its foundation is showing deep cracks. And there's a wild card. Batman enlists the help of Etrigan the Demon, who has intimate knowledge of the threat he faces. But Etrigan has loyalties of his own, and helping Batman puts him at odds with his masters. He's been demoted in the hierarchy of hell, but when he's offered the honor of being a rhymer once again, if he betrays Batman, he has a terrible decision to make. Meanwhile, Batman's attention is almost completely consumed by the beautiful Dawn Golden, who he's been trying to rescue from capture. He becomes so obsessed with finding and saving her that he goes to places within himself that he always has held in check, and he doesn't see the forces that are aligning themselves against him. There would be no hope if it weren't for an unlikely new friend who was there to help when he needs it the most. But helping Batman comes at a high price. And then we have the comments from Mike Martz. There are many great things about working with David Finch, but one of the main points that sticks out is his willingness to be a part of the Batman creative team. When David first signed on board to write and pencil a Batman book for us, one of the first things he asked for was to be brought up to speed on current continuity and what the other Bat titles were up to. Other creators in his position might have wanted to do their own thing or enact their own take on the character but not David. He wanted to dive headfirst into the continuity pool and expressed a strong desire to interact with Scott Snyder, Grant Morrison, Tony Daniel, and the other Bat Riders. That says a lot to me about a creator. I know we're going to get nothing but amazing stories from David from a long time to come. Alright, so those are the comments. Pretty much similar to what we had before. Obviously, the Supernatural is going to be playing a larger element in Batman the Dark Knight more so than in the other books. I don't know if that's going to be a good thing. It'll just really depend on the story based on the first issue, which we'll talk about in a little bit. We'll have to see what happens. I like how he went to the other writers to find out what they were doing with their books because usually when we're reviewing the books we talk about how, gee, a little communication among the writers would have been nice because why doesn't Tim have crutches here when he's appearing in public? Stuff like that. So it's good because it'll help the books flow better, which creates a much better Batman universe. My only criticism with that is if he did that, then there's something in his story which we'll talk about when we review it, which is very similar to something being done in another story that I'm surprised is happening at the same time. He may have gone may have gone to the other writers, but it seems like he kind of decided to ignore what they were doing and do his own thing. That's what it seems like to me. I'm kind of encouraged that he did kind of become a continuity guy. I mean, that's something you would like to expect from writers coming into a character with such a, such a long history. You know, the fact is that the last few years, that's just not been the case. So the fact that it's been actually ex- explicated to say he did that, on one hand, it's sort of redundant, but on the other hand, is it is encouraging, and I'll lean on the more encouraging side. So that's kind of cool. What do you mean that's not been the case? I just feel like in the last five or so years, there's been several instances in not just Batman, but comic. every comic I've read, there's always been this instance where continuity has been very, not loose, but kind of hand-picked. Like Josh think- said, like the crutches stuff. I mean, I think the big thing is, I, I guess I could I could partially agree with that in the regards of, there's always seems to be one or two writers slash artists that come along and try to do things differently than what's currently going on. You know, as much as uh, everyone would like to say Judd Winnick is a team player, his story that he told in Batman for the few short issues he was actually on Batman really did not play very well into the continuity. 
and he's not the only one. Um, Adam Beechin did it with Batgirl, but that could be chalked up to just a scheduling issue as far as uh, when the book was actually written in regards to when it actually came out, and that could be chalked up to that. But, you know, I will agree with that. There, there always seems to be, you know, somebody out there who likes to do their own thing, and especially somebody like David Finch who gets hired as an exclusive to DC and basically gets asked, what do you want to do? And he says, well, I want to do a Batman thing. He's going to do what he wants. I don't believe for a minute that he actually contemplated doing a story related to what was going on with the other books. And I think that's perfectly fine. If they want to do what they want, let them do what they want. But then don't say that the book is in continuity, because you're kind of, to me, defeating the purpose then. If you need another example of continuity, uh, non-communication, Catwoman finding out in three different books that Bruce is alive... Alright, so the next bit of news we have comes from January 7th. Comic Book Resources posted another segment of The Bat Signal, this time with Adam Beechin, and he talks about his work with Batman Beyond. So I will read for Comic Book Resources, and Zach will read for Adam Beechin. Before we get into the specifics of the story, I wanted to ask you about the structure of the book. You mentioned the format of the ongoing series will include some three-issue arcs, in a way that feels very much like the three-act structure of an animated show, which you've got experience writing. At the same time, there must be a bit more in terms of characters and dialogues you can fit into the panels of a comic page than TV runtimes allow for. How do you those off each other? Your point about three-act structure is really well taken. We do look at our three issues as having a distinct beginning, middle, and end, but each of those individual issues also has to have a progression in and of themselves of beginning, middle, and end. So it's like putting the three-act structure within the three-act structure. You're always conscious of where you want the larger story to end up, but at the same time, you've got to structure and pace the issues in a way that will give the reader a sense of progression of story. Every event on the page has to further that page, that story, and you want to leave them with a sense at the end of the first two issues that there's every possible reason to come back for the finale. It is a bit of a structural juggling act, but hopefully it adds layers of complexity and interest to the story as you go along. You're also using a lot of the show's supporting cast, from Dana to Terry's mom and brother, and you're changing things up with them in certain ways. Matt is graduating from elementary school, which allows you to incrementally move the world forward. What's the big plan for Terry's personal life? Do you want to shake things up, or is that just a solid base to build adventure stories off? I think it's probably more the latter than the former, although there's a lot of room to play with the supporting characters in the cast. We've got a lot of plans for Terry's friends and confidant Max coming up. We've got a lot coming up with Dana that's really important. And just as we found out stuff about them that will be exciting in the long term, we're finding stuff out with Mary and Matt that can be just as rewarding. We want to make sure they have roles to play that further Terry's personal story. Let's talk about the broader plans for the series, then. The miniseries ended with some conclusive resolution to the Hush issue. We also had Dick Grayson walking away without responding to Bruce's call. We've got Catwoman on the scene now. Are those elements you'll be returning to in terms of a longer, ongoing story? Most definitely. Dick is now firmly entrenched in the world of our series, and we don't intend to let him go or have him disappear for as long as he had in the past. He's very important to the story we're going to tell moving forward. Catwoman, we think, is a nice addition to Batman's rogues gallery, and as it were, and the dynamic that she has with Terry is nice and different than the relationships he has to his other enemies. She's more of a frenemy, I guess, and there's a lot to play with there. We've got a lot of other characters to get back to first, but that's not to say Catwoman won't be showing up again. She just might not have the major focus that she had in the miniseries for a while in the ongoing yet. All right. I guess the the interesting bit that I get out of this is that Beechin's got a lot of plans for the supporting cast, and on top of that, Dick is definitely going to be making a reappearance sometime in the near future. At least that's what I got out of his answer for the last question. 
I think it's nice that he's deciding to really focus on a supporting cast because I do think that if this book is going to succeed that it needs that and I did uh, as we get into the uh, upcoming issue I do think that that is something that he really is focusing on and uh, I'm glad that he's doing that it's good that he is making good use of them. Otherwise, if it's just Terry and Bruce, then, you know, you're not really focusing on what made Batman Beyond wholly successful. So. Agreed. All right, so that's all the news we've got. Let's move right into our comic book reviews. And we have first Batman the Dark Knight number one. Batman! Why is he running, Dad? Because we have to chase him. Okay, we're going in! Because he's the hero Gotham deserves, but not the one it needs right now. So we'll hunt him. Because he can take it. Because he's not a hero. Batman the Dark Knight number one, written and penciled by David Finch. The issue opens with a flashback to Bruce as a child before his parents died, where he remembers his first encounter with Don Golden, a girl in the present who is now missing, and because she comes from a family of wealth, the media is all over the story. In present Gotham, we see Bruce Wayne Batman patiently waiting outside a bar in the slums of the city. Soon a man is thrown out the door, and a large figure exits in a trench coat and fedora hat. However, we soon learn that it is Killer Croc, and Batman watches as Croc injects himself with the drug known as Venom. Batman has one prior find Don Golden. And he quickly attacks Croc, however, because Croc is on Venom, he is stronger than normal and much faster than normal, which initially gives Batman some problems, but with a little luck, he is able to bind Croc up and begins questioning Croc. We learn that Croc sold a woman who Batman believes to be Don Golden to one Lars Beck. However, Commissioner Gordon soon informs Batman that Lars Beck was found tied down in the Gotham River earlier this morning. We cut to the Narrows in Gotham City where a group of hobos discussing some of the latest rumors in Gotham's underbelly when one of them wanders off to use the restroom when the other hobos hear him scream and go running to where he was. And while his body remains in the shadows, we do see blood running all over the place and the body steaming. We cut to the Batcave where Alfred is voicing his concern for Bruce's obsession with the Don Golden disappearance. Bruce doesn't listen too well. And Bruce is off to Lars Beck's club to investigate, leaving a frustrated Alfred. At Lars Beck's club, the Boom Room, using some sonar technology like we saw in The Dark Knight, Batman finds the safe and inside he finds Don Golden's necklace. Meanwhile, outside the club, someone disables the security on the Batmobile. While inside, Bruce soon realizes that this was all a trap and enters the Penguin with a group of henchmen who Penguin describes as carrying the most advanced military hardware in the world as they all bear some rather fancy looking guns in their hands. And that is to be continued. Alright, so Batman the Dark Knight, number one. When I read this comic, I felt like I was having a flashback of Batman Gotham after midnight, where we suddenly find out about a new female has little to do with anything in the past that we have ever read before, and suddenly Bruce Wayne is obsessed with this female. I really despise that plot device, and I'm getting really, really tired of seeing it. And I get that David Finch is an artist by trade, not a writer, so, you know, it might take a little bit of time before he can uh, 
catch up to the quality of writing that we so commonly expect. But I really think that he could have started off a series with something a little bit better than Bruce is obsessed about a girl who's disappeared. Because we see that way too many times. Now, moving into the art side, I thought his art was very good. And I enjoy looking at his art. And I thought everything inside the entire issue, as far as the art was concerned, was very well done. But the story is just nothing. The supernatural element that, uh, you know, he's been talking about over and over again, I, you know, it's clearly not evident in this issue as much as it's going to be in the future issues, but I can only start to wonder where this is actually going to go. I'm going to give this two out of five batterings. This was all right uh, in some places. I like the scene where Killer Croc is being interrogated by Batman, and he says, I'm going to put something in you. It's going to make you feel like you're detoxing Venom. And then he puts it in him anyway after Killer Croc tells him what he wants to know, but it was just food coloring and another ingredient that I forget. Uh, Echoing Dustin's statement, a flashback to a woman from Bruce's childhood who broke his heart in college that we've never heard about till now. There's like so many women in Bruce's past, but oh, this wasn't just one of his floozies. He actually cared about her, which that's what they say about every other woman like it, it would be i'd be surprised if like they introduced the woman and it just turned out to be one of his floozies because like that's the twist with all these women from his past alfred's like oh but this is the one that he actually cared about and over in batman and robin there's another one of bruce's girlfriends who's missing this week who as alfred says is one of the ones that bruce actually cared about <laughs> this is both happening at the same time now granted dick is looking for the other girlfriend because i guess you know i mean dick's gonna find una nemo and you know bruce has got to find don golden because you know it's those are the ones that Bruce actually cared about but I digress like Dustin that's I said that's a plot device that's been used way too many times otherwise I like where the story was going I like the interrogation scene that was you know a good Batman interrogation scene and the art was nice I'm curious to see where the story goes and how this is all going to tie together so I'll give it four out of five batterings I have to say, I thought David Finch's artwork was pretty good for the most part. To me, this is that is clearly what this book, I think, is showcasing. Uh, it's not personally my favorite stuff, but I can't say that he's not a good artist because he is. The one complaint is about his art that I have is during the flashback with Bruce and Don Golden. Don Golden looks a lot older than Bruce Wayne does there. I mean, it, it's almost ridiculous. I mean, like, come on. But his, I think his artwork captures that gritty and dark mood that he's going for with his writing uh, because he's very much trying to write, like, this modern-day Batman noir story. And that's where my big problem is. Yeah, the artwork captures that style, but there's nothing behind this story. I mean, we step into this, this flashback that, uh, I'm sorry, is, like, paced just like the opening of Batman Begins, pretty much. And and then we get this Batman who is like, this is one of the most robotic portrayals I think I've ever seen. I mean, there is, he's just, he portrays him as this tough guy. And it's like all the dialogue he used seems so forced. I mean, that's the big thing. All the dialogue in this book is forced. I think he would have done much better if he would have had another writing, writing with him that could help him with the dialogue because nothing seems to flow out of these characters' mouths. And there's nothing original here. We've seen this story like a hundred times and it just all seems very shallow and Don Golden's role and relationship with Bruce seems absolutely forced. She's just thrown into her past so that the characters have a connection with one another and the others mentioned it. I think we're getting a much better former girlfriend story arc in Batman and Robin right now. There's no character and there's no originality to it. I think it's like, I don't feel like David Finch enjoyed writing this issue at, at all. He loved doing the artwork. I can see that but it, it just seemed like he was writing the issue because he had to. I would not recommend this at all. I'm going to give it one out of five batterings. 
Yeah, this one, this one, I think more than any other Batman comic in the last uh, twelve months, I'll say since this is new year. To me, said that this is a guy who just wanted to do a Batman story his way, and that that is not always a good thing. I totally agree with Zach that the art was wonderful. However, as solid as I think an artist as David Finch is, I think much of the credit should go to um, uh, Scott Williams and Alex Sinclair because those are two classic inker and, and colorists, and they really made this uh, art jump out for me. Yeah, I, I agree with everyone. The art was great. The story. I was trying to think of what this whole kid kid girlfriend thing reminded me of, and Zach on the head again. It's it's straight from Batman Begins. Like it's the the exact same story with Rachel Dawes, a childhood female friend that he must now find. And like if it's not that, it's like it's basically Tommy Yelly with Hush. There's all of all of Bruce's childhood friends. Do that just like grow up and move away? Do they always come back to Gotham and get killed or get kidnapped or turn into villains or something like that? That screamed unoriginality for me. I think that this this is a story that's trying too hard to be a Batman, but just like you know, just trying hard to be a Batman story and just kind of like going through the motions. Uh, like Josh, I did enjoy the killer croc scene. I thought that was pretty cool. I thought this, this story was actually okay. I didn't think there was anything too bad about it. I kind of like sometimes just simple stories. I mean, Alfred even brings up like, why, why are you still in Gotham? I thought you were just gonna let Dick and Damien uh, stay here. And Bruce is like, well, there's this childhood friend. Do you remember her? And then Alfred basically rolls his eyes. He's like, all right, here we go again. And that's kind of <laughs> right. how I feel over here. I, I want to like the story, but I think it would feel better if this wasn't Batman. But this just seems like, this just seems like a creative little fan fan comic that doesn't really need to be made it's just charging more money it's not horrible but it doesn't seem like it's worth an, another title another ongoing and that's kind of annoying so for what it's worth i did enjoy the story so i'll give this three out of five better rings funny thing about hush is that bruce even says in hush that he had no childhood friends aside from tommy <laughs> elliott well they're coming out of the woodwork now Continuity. All right, and over on the website, Melinda gave Batman the Dark Knight number one four and a half out of five batterings. So this is going to give Batman the Dark Knight number one three out of five batterings. Batman, as one baker to another, how do you make a dishonest shortcake? Dishonest shortcake? There's strawberry shortcake. And blueberry shortcake. A dishonest shortcake. I got it! Library. That would make it a dishonest shortcake. Right, Robin. Library. Clearly a corrupted version of the word library. Batman Confidential 52 Superpowers, Part Chapter 3, written by Mark Guggenheim and illustrated by Jerry Bingham. This story opens up with Batman engaged in a battle with the monster-headed guy in the purple jacket, and Batman is pretty much getting his, his rear end handed to him, to the point where he thinks he's going to die. It then flashbacks to a scene where the uh, a Chinese the Chinese group called the League are discussing saving innocent lives and, and instead of you know following their own mission. We come back to Batman struggling to defeat this guy and trying to get the, the woman he was trying to save out of harm's way despite the fact that he has a broken rib and it just hurts to move with every inch as he carries her over his shoulders. Back in China the, the Chinese League attacked their uh, their enemies while trying to save Bruce Wayne and the woman named Ri I believe sees that he is dead but tries to bring him back to life because he has a spark of life, of life left. While this is going on another member named the member named Sudu is impaled through the chest by one of their enemies. Back in the present Bruce is interrogated by a police detective who suggests that maybe they had too much to drink because uh, the cover story is, is a car accident and Bruce says that no we, we only drink one one bottle of wine you have to try harder after he leaves Bruce who, who was behind all these killings and decides he has to go into the Justice League headquarters so he travels to the headquarters and actually bypasses all of their security because Wayne Tech provided them with security but is set upon by the Justice League including which consists of Wonder Woman Green Lantern Flash Martian Manhunter and Aquaman and that is to be continued in the League of Not-So-Gentlemen 
All right, so Batman Confidential number 52. Here's what I've determined. After seeing issue 50 and, and giving it a completely horrible review because I despised what they did with that issue, 52, I've, I've come to realize that I like Jerry Bingham's art only when he draws it in the present phase. When he does the, uh, the you know, the past flashbacks, I get the idea of using a lot of watercolors and making it look a little bit more hazy as if it is a memory. And I appreciate that. I think that's a cool concept, but I just don't like the way it looks. It does not help at all that the uh, story, to me, is utter crap. Why would Batman pick up a girl and who is seemingly dead, bring her to a hospital as Bruce Wayne and set himself up for a situation where the police are investigating why he was with a girl who is now dead? I don't even... I, I can't even imagine why Batman would ever do something like that. And I don't know why that was even used in this. I have nothing really good to say about this other than I'm glad to see that that insanely stupid Justice League backup is not in the book, which I'm sure it wasn't in the book in 51 either. I hate to say it, but it looks like Batman Confidential, as we expected, is going to go out on a crappy note. I'm going to give this one one out of five batterings. Yes, it would be nice to say if, uh, that if this that this is gonna go out on a great note, but uh, looks like it's gonna go out on a whimper. Uh, this last arc really isn't interesting to me. Uh, Batman making these weird judgment calls, like Dustin said, you know, bringing him, bringing the girl into the hospital as Bruce Wayne, and oh look at that, another Batman versus the Justice League fight is gonna happen over something really really stupid instead of people just talking about it. This is really weak. I'm gonna have to give it two out of five batterings. I expected this book to go out on a whimper because this book came in on a whimper. I honestly really want it want to like this because I like the creative team. I think Mark Guggenheim is a good writer. There's just no relevance to anything happening in this story and I'm not interested. Jerry Bingham's artwork is it's fantastic. I like both styles. I I think both are colored extremely well. There's no supporting cast in this story, and I don't see what what the two parallel stories are are doing. What where they're benefiting one another. I mean, if one of them was really good and one of them was just not so good, I could understand. You know, maybe I would only read the one and forget about the other. But there's just nothing. They're not complementing each other at all. I'm not surprised that this is. This is boring. This is uninteresting. This because it's under the Batman Confidential banner. It's not working for me the story at all. But at the same time, I really like Jerry Bingham's artwork a lot, and I'm glad that he's got getting another opportunity to do a Batman book. So because of that, I'm going to give this two out of five batterings. I think Mark Guggenheim's a decent writer in the best of times. I can't stand his voice for Batman, and it's again, it's Batman doesn't seem like the person who would be in the middle of a fight he is severely losing and just have his mind wander talking about uh, politics and barbarians at the gate that's it put that on hawkman or somebody who's more inclined to talk about war or whatever batman seems like a guy kind of guy who says that okay my ribs busted how can i bust this guy's ribs just more focused that's something that i had a problem with in the, fir- in the first part of this back in issue 50 it just permeates when it, this during the entire fight scene especially at the end where he, guggenheim steals the line from batman year one father i'm, I'm afraid i may have to die tonight uh, that's real cute but it felt kind of cheap I just thought the writing was annoying all the way around. The artwork was decent, but I it wasn't it wasn't um as good as I would have liked it to be. Just in terms of I don't know, it looked a little rough to me personally. I thought the inky was a little hatchet. One of the five batterings. All right, so that is going to give Batman Confidential number fifty-two one and a half out of five batterings. Tell me something. Why were you so sure those voices weren't coming from you? Well, first, I know I'm not psychotic. I hope your other reason is more convincing. And second. The voice kept calling me Bruce. In my mind, that's not what I call myself. What do you call yourself? 
Oh, yeah. I suppose you would. But that's my name now. Hmm. Tell that to my subconscious. Let's move into our next book, which is Batman Beyond Number 1, written by Adam Beechin, art by Ryan Benjamin. We start off with seeing a person known as Mr. Jats, who is being informed that he has a number of different things running through his body, including radiation, alien substances, and he's being suggested to file a class action metahuman exposure lawsuit, and he decides that that's not what he wants to do. We then cut to Batman Beyond, Terry McGinnis, who is taking out a number of people who have decided to themselves off of uh, Tweedledee and Tweedledum. Bruce Wayne informs Terry not to get uh, complacent and take them out as soon as possible before something bad happens. We then go to Metropolis where we see the Watchtower as as shown in Justice League Unlimited but uh, now is on the ground in Metropolis and Carson Jatz, who is the person who we saw earlier, found out he has a number of problems. Turns out he actually works at the Watchtower. He shows up looking for something. He goes into a vault and he gains access to a green wand. Guard who was watching Jats go into the vault says something to him and he ends up turning into lead once Jats touches him. The Justice League finds out that they have a security breach and we then cut to Terry McGinnis meeting up with Dana and they talk about how they are going to go get graduation gift for Terry's brother Matt and Matt and... Terry's mother are both at the mall shopping for a elementary school graduation suit. Dana helps uh, Terry try to find what to get as far as a gift. We then cut back to Jats, who is flying through the sky on a speeder, wherein Warhawk comes out of nowhere and tells him to stop because he's a thief. Um, Jats touches Warhawk's wing and turns it to helium, sending Warhawk into a crashing dive. Jats, at the same time, crashes into the mall in Gotham City where Terry's mother and brother are at. What ends up happening is Jats is convinced that he must keep himself away from the Justice League. He decides to put an impervious layer of metal around the mall so that no one can get in. At the same exact time, Terry across town can see a fire from a building and gets a call from Bruce Wayne saying the mall is being taken hostage. Terry hurries off after making a brilliant excuse to Dana towards the building. Uh, We then see the Gotham Police Department being ordered by Barbara Gordon to do whatever is necessary to make sure that there's no hostages are harmed and to take out the person causing the event at the mall. We then see the Justice League appear, including Green Lantern, Aqua Girl, Barda, Micron, and Warhawk appear out of nowhere and talk to the GCPD, saying that they are going to go in there and take out Jets. The GCPD replies to the Justice League by saying, can you guarantee that none of the hostages are going to get hurt? And Warhawk replies, you know, we may have to take that risk. And Batman responds, saying, that's not a risk that I'm going to let you take. And that is the end of that issue. Batman Beyond number one. Overall, the art was great. Uh, I'm interested to see who this Jats character is because I'm not super familiar with why this Jats character is even around, who they are, considering they have very little... Well, I've never seen the character before, and on top of that, I'm sure the character has a purpose. Um, it'll be interesting to see Matter Masters, the character that they're using the wand from. So, Beechin's doing a perfect job of incorporating things from the past as far as the continuity of the DC universe as well as things from the DC animated universe and blending them together. So I think overall he's doing a great job. Three and a half out of five batterings. 
I don't know if maybe this was the point of it or not, but it's a Justice League that tells the police department, yeah, some people might die. You know, we can't guarantee that we're actually going to save people. To me, that's not the Justice League. And maybe that's the point here that Adam Beecham was going for, that, like, this Justice League isn't as good or as heroic as the other one. But, I mean, when Batman showed up to say, that's not a risk I'm going to let you take, uh, you know what? Yeah, you're the Justice League, for crying out loud. Wasn't crazy about the art. I think it's best when you look at uh, the pages where uh, Matt is trying on his tuxedo, his head in a few of those pages. Gosh, the way his head was shaped and his eyes were. I mean, it looked like somebody was trying to, like, blow up a Damien or something. I I, I don't know. I think that for the first issue of a series, if people hadn't read the miniseries, they should have made it a bit more of an introduction into the world of Batman Beyond. There was a lot to follow here, you know, for what this futuristic world is like. I did like some of the Terry scenes where he's trying to, you know, juggle his life. And of course, he promises to be at his brother's elementary school graduation. Gee, I wonder if he's going to make it since he promised now. We'll see. I'm going to give this two and a half out of five batterings. Overall, I thought this was a pretty decent issue. Adam Beechin did a good job of carrying over the high energy that he had from the miniseries. And I think he's he's done a nice job of developing Bruce and Terry's relationship further. And I we think we saw more of that here. I also like that with this issue, Beechin seems to be focusing more on Terry trying to balance his life as Batman and his normal life. And we kind of get to see how well he's doing that. Um, and I think that's an important subplot in a superhero story especially batman stories and with terry's mother and brother being in danger i like that they're 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 trying to emotionally get focus more on terry here because i thought the miniseries while it was fun didn't spend a lot of time on terry's character i'm not real big on this villain this carson jets i think he's i i like that they're they've used him to create this hostage situation but i just don't think he's really a desirable character i don't expect to see him again after this story arc is over i like ryan benjamin's artwork i thought it was a bit more cartoony here uh, than it was in the miniseries. I liked it more in the miniseries, but I think it still works. I think it's lighthearted and it's fun, and that's what I think this book should, that tone, that's what it, see, what it should be. I think this book is in pretty good hands with Beach and, and Benjamin, and I think as this series go, will go on, it, it's going to get better, so I'm going to give this 3 out of 5 batterings. I thought this issue was um, okay. It's pretty much a really basic setup issue. Um, you get introduced to a new character, a new villain, and you get introduced to or re- reintroduced to Terry and Bruce, Terry's family, and the Justice League. I agree with Josh that the Justice League were clearly the Justice League shouldn't be worried about the best thing. They should be worried on trying to save people, especially since the leak was more or less. I'm still not sure on the continuity of this, but if we're going by animated continuity, then it's like it was co-founded by Superman and Batman, the two people in the DC universe who will save lives at whatever the cost. So maybe. It it was the point to say, well, 50 years later, they don't care anymore. I just, I just hope it won't be turn out to turn into something stupid where Terry will look immature. Uh, otherwise, I'll be really annoying and really padded. I thought the designs of the characters were interesting. Terry and Dana look kind of older to me. Maybe they aged them a couple years from the cartoon. Uh, I also thought that his brother looked a little too much. It reminded me too much, too much of Damien. I thought this was okay, middle of the road. I, I wasn't. I, there was nothing that was awfully bad, but I wasn't hyped or excited about it. But we'll see how it goes because it is the first issue. I'm giving this two and a half out of five batterings. Alright, so that is going to give Batman Beyond number one, three out of five batterings. Oracle, the plane! Chill, Batman. I sent up a flare. Robin's on his way. Maybe you didn't get the memo, Oracle, but I've been going by Nightwing for, oh, about a decade or so. 
Oh, yeah. I don't know why I can't remember that. Maybe I should try saying it ten times in a row. Nightwing, 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 Nightwing. Let's move into our next book, Gotham City Sirens, number 18. Well, when we last left our heroines and villainesses, uh, Zatanna and Talia decided, because, you know, they are in charge of everything, that Catwoman doesn't deserve to know who Batman is because it's just too dangerous. So Zatanna is coming to terms with the fact that she probably has to mind wipe Catwoman, but she's not sure how she feels about this. So, so she calls upon the spirit of her dead father, Zatara, to ask for advice, but he does the whole fatherly thing saying, now, honey, you know what to do. You just have to look inside yourself and i think you already know what the right thing is she's like okay daddy so zatanna uses her magic to separate the three sirens from each other so that she can have catwoman all to herself but before she separates them the girls are in the middle of an argument because they recently found out that catwoman quote-unquote lied to her at the beginning of the series when she said that batman was multiple people so ivy's saying you know how could you do this how could you keep this from us but harley's being a little more sympathetic about it but the girls are separated and harley and Ivy continue arguing over if Catwoman's right or not. As Zatanna starts the mind wipe processing with uh, Talia using her binoculars, making sure that everything's going according to plan. While this is happening, Harley and Ivy decide, you know what? Yeah, we should probably save Selina. I was wrong. So they start to go towards her. Zatanna, while she's doing the mind wipe, she sees a conversation with uh, herself and Catwoman from before Bruce's death and disappearance, where talking about how they were the only two people that she loved. And she realized, wait a second, Talia is doing this because she loves Bruce and she wants to get rid of the competition. So Zatanna puts Catwoman's memories back, confronts Talia about it, and it's like, how can you do this? I'm going to search your memories to see if you're right. You've engineered this whole thing. She's like, oh yeah, you'll have to fight me first. To be continued. Gotham City Sirens. Here's the thing that was interesting about this issue. I came into this issue thinking to myself, why in the world is Zatanna trying to get rid of... Why would she be siding with Talia al Ghul? And why... Why would that even... Why I, That doesn't even make any sense to me. I mean, I get that Talia can be trusted sometimes. She's worked with Bruce Wayne and his allies in the past in various times. But by herself, why would Zatanna willingly listen to Talia and say, Hey, we need to wipe Selina Kyle's mind. No memory of Bruce Wayne whatsoever. I didn't understand that. It makes a little bit more sense after reading this issue. This issue seemed to go very quickly, but there wasn't really a whole lot going on. So that's probably why it went by so quickly. The whole span of the issue probably took place in a matter of maybe 20 minutes in the in the actual story so that's probably why it went by so quickly i'm interested to see if in fact talia did this so that she could eliminate some of the competition but at the same time all i was left thinking at the end of reading this comic was if what Zatanna is saying is true and Talia is just trying to get rid of the competition and Bruce Wayne really does in fact only ever love two women. Talia really got the the raw end of the stick. So ultimately it looks like Talia al Ghul got the long end of the stick because she's the one who ended up pregnant out of the three of them. Gotham City Sirens, three out of five betterings. Everyone arguing about men the whole issue, all five of the women, and like, how about asking Bruce, you know, like, I mean, he, hey, he's alive now, why don't you ask him, you know, who gets to know his identity or not, it's, I was just annoyed by this whole thing, and like, Zatanna being involved with it, like, as if she has the right to know, and she's teaming up with Talia, you know, who obviously has every right to learn Batman's identity since she had her son rigged to be controlled by Deathstroke to kill Batman's uh, adopted other son. I thought that that whole thing was hypocritical, and I'm, I'm glad that Zatanna came 
came to her senses in the end, but this was just nonsense. This was like Jerry Springer-esque. I mean, the art was okay, and some of the Harley stuff was funny when they were saying, like, so Harley would sell us out in the minute for the Joker, and it's like, yeah, but that's different, because Harley can't help it. You can help it, Selena. Two, two out of five batterings. Get this book a different direction and get it there fast. Well, I didn't think that this story was great by any means. I'm actually glad that if this is going to be the creative team on this book for a while, that I might start liking this book a little bit more. I think one of the big reasons why this book wasn't canceled with the other three was that I think Peter Calloway is somewhat new to comics. He's worked a lot in TV, I know, but I think DC wanted to keep him around, and I don't think they had anywhere else to put him, so they kept this title, and knowing that he's not going to go Paul Dini on them and play hide-and-go-seek every other month, uh, I think they decided to keep this. I didn't think that this was awful. I, I liked kind of the little trip down memory lane with Zatanna going through Selena's memories. The f- big thing that bothers me about this book, that's always bothered me about this book, is that it's supposedly in continuity, but it feels so distant from everything else. Like, it's its own separate little world. Like, nothing else is going on around it. It's what's going on right now. And I just wish it was more rooted in everything else. I like Jerry, Jeremy Hunt a lot. I like his style. I think his, his he works well on this book. Hopefully they keep him on this for a while. And I like that Talia was brought back to being a villain. So I thought this was an interesting cliffhanger that they move on to the next issue. So I'm actually going to give this three out of five batterings. I really thought this was a humongous waste of time and a very, very lousy issue. I, I, I'm going to start with the art. I don't really care for Jeremy's Hunt's art. That being said, I thought he did a lot better job on the Red Hood miniseries. I couldn't stand looking at this art because every time, literally every every panel of uh, a character was on screen, they had the same doughy-eyed, you know, just what got out of bed, mouth half open look. No matter what emotion they were supposed to be portraying, no matter what it was, it was the same. And like the same expression is virtually on every other, other, other character. Besides the fact that every other panel is like an upshot to see the inside of their nose. I don't know why. Why we can't get an artist to actually draw proper facial expressions. I mean, that shouldn't be something that, you know, you just select an artist for. That should be something every artist should do. So I hated the art. The story is, like Josh said, literally all these... All these women fighting over a man, and okay, I'll give, give you a point. It's Batman. That's a pretty important guy, especially in Gotham City. That being said, the fact that the whole scheme was basically Talia wanting Bruce to herself is absolutely ridiculous. This seems like such a petty plot for such a supposedly strong character, since the art completely did not help this at all. I'll have to give this zero out of five batterings. I hated this. All right, so that is going to give Gotham City Sirens number 18 two out of five batterings. All right, Joker. Get ready for a little bat magic. Let's move into our next book, Azrael number 16. Azrael number 16. This issue starts off with Michael Lane, who is dead right now, but actually we see him surrounded by a bunch of charred corpses of birds and people, and he is accosted by Grieve, the priest who he had seen flayed several issues back by the Crusader. Grieve tells him that he will return to life in three days through the use of the Lazarus Pit. First, Azrael had first walked towards, and he will walk with them as his penance, as he is haunting him. But we go back to reality where both Dick Grayson and Bruce Wayne, a.k.a. Batman, are spying on the racial goal strong hole where Michael Lane's body has been taken. Dick Batman asks Bruce Batman how he knew where to, where to find him, and Bruce Batman says that he is linked to the suit of sorrows from whoever wears it. Dick says that he, this doesn't make sense to him because it's, it's just too magical in origin and he was always taught by Bruce to follow science. But Bruce says that magic is a form of science. And before he can explain that any further, yeah, <laughs> he, he goes down 
and meets an invitation from Ra's al Ghul himself. Dick doesn't have a chance to tell him that he was stabbed by both Azrael's swords, or at least one of them, and it's possible for him to die, whether they are good-hearted or not. We we then go to see Batman into Ra's al Ghul's stronghold, just as Michael Lane returns to life. Lane says that he is now Azrael forever, and Batman offers his role to be part of Batman Incorporated to fight crime. Lane says, ha, crime? You don't understand. I fight sinners. And to prove a point, he telekinetically rises his the blue sword and stabs Batman from behind in the chest. Bruce sees a vision of an angelic Azrael holding the blue flame sword while he sees the devil Batman from way back in the Black Gulf arc from Grant Morrison's run. Christ. He goes back to meet Dick and says that Azrael is free to be by himself as an individual agent. He won't be joining Batman Incorporated, but he will always be the ally as we see the blue flame simmering to a stop on the bat symbol. Azrael goes out to meet the sun and still sees visions of grief saying that it's a beautiful day and that is the end. So Azrael number 16. I thought this was a interesting way to kind of wrap things up, but the real question that leaves me is we still have two issues left of this series before it ends, and this would have actually been the perfect way to end the series. So the fact that they didn't end the series on this note leads me to believe that they must have something else going to happen, which is a real shame because this could have been a perfect way to wrap up the series. The art was, again, much better than previous issues, and I think... As time progresses, the art only seems to get better and, and better. The story in this one, it worked. Yes, they had some elements of the, you know, religion that they've had in, in the past, but it wasn't as strong. And the fact that we saw Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson, and we had the incorporation of Batman Inc., as we talked about before, that's what a big part of what this book was lacking, was the overall cohesion of the Batman universe. Since it does fall under the Batman umbrella of books, you would expect it to have a little bit more having to do with Batman. It's just sad to say that this late in the game, it's taken this long for them to figure it out, and at this point, the series is going to end, so it really is irrelevant. But this issue, overall, three and a half out of five bad rings. When you're going to draw the two Batman together, we can tell the difference by their costumes, but for crying out loud, don't do so many shots of them with their capes draped over themselves from behind. Thank you. That makes it, yeah, that makes it so hard to tell. Yeah. Who's who? I, I had a conversation with Donovan earlier today trying to figure out, like, which Batman was which. It took Donovan five times to figure out, you know, which Batman was which one. It shouldn't take you that many times. Do some way to differentiate them or, like, have them being on, like, different sides of, like... You the... do realize that they did have a differentiate. They were wearing different symbols on their chest. Yes, but you couldn't always see their chest. They, you'd see them from behind. They could have had them be in different locations, talking to each other over a communicator. That would have helped, too. Yeah. And Batman's like, oh, well, this guy, you know, says that he's going to kill all sinners, and he attacked me, but <laughs> I guess he's not a member of Batman Incorporated, but he'll be a trusted ally. Are you kidding me? These are the type of people who usually you're like, stay out of my city. There's too many, le you know, fails in logic leap in here for me, so I'm giving it one out of five batterings. Uh, another surprising, fairly solid issue, I thought. I liked the opening of the book with Michael Lang and Purgatory. I don't think that's anything real original, but I thought it was interesting. This book, to me, felt a little different. It didn't feel like a lot of the previous issues that I have been reading of Azrael, and I thought that that was, that was interesting. My problem with Michael Lang's character is that I like the way David Hine has been writing him, but when but the, in this issue, it was when he was in Purgatory, or when he was out of the suit. Then all of a sudden when Lane gets into the suit it's like the most angry human being uh, ever I mean the whole thing with confronting Batman he just comes off as a, a total I think he makes the character very unlikable that way I liked the little cliffhanger with 
Grieve still haunting Michael Ann at the end. I thought that was interesting. I don't know if that's something that's going to play out. I don't know what that means for what ended up happening because I thought that once he made it through the purgatory that Grieve was going to leave him alone. So I don't know what's really going on there. Uh, I thought Cliff Richard's artwork was very fitting for the book and it's serviceable. There's nothing wrong with serviceable. What keeps Asriel from being a good book to me is that it's it's only interesting. And it's it's not really entertaining. So I'm only going to give this two and a half out of five batterings. This is probably the, the best issue of Azrael I have read thus far. I mean, that's not saying much since, since the fact that I started out on the series hitting it a lot. I thought this was okay. The big problem I had was, Josh already said it. Maybe, okay, I freely admit, maybe I'm just an idiot, but it did take me five times to fully recognize which Batman was speaking. And I know that they have different costumes. I, I, I may be an idiot, but I'm not blind. They're of the both of them, and you can't tell this from the back of them or from the front of them, and that's what threw me off. And I know that Dick was the one inquiring about science, but it, it was very strange, especially the fact that Bruce is typically science-minded. I had I also kept that in mind, so that the dialogue didn't exactly uh, sync things up for me, but I did finally understand. I think this this whole religion plot has finally maybe won me over a little bit. I'm not saying it's, it's best, it's, it's the best thing ever, but David Hine did a very logical yet very clever thing by, by addressing it immediately after it was introduced and not putting it off for any silly silly story. He kept on putting it in there and took it seriously, uh, which I really didn't think he was going to do. And at the end, it kind of felt justified. I, I still think it's kind of silly because Michael Lane is like the biggest stereotype of a Catholic I've ever read in fiction. But at the same time, I kind of thought it was hilarious how he, in my opinion, mind wiped Batman. Overall, I thought it was this one was okay. The story was decent. So I'm giving this a middle of the road, two and a half out of five batterings. All right, so that is going to give Azrael number 16 two and a half out of five batterings. Dear friends, today is the day the clown cried. And he cries not for the passing of one man, but for the death of a dream. The dream that he would someday taste the ultimate victory of his enemy. For it was the Batman who made me the happy soul I am today. How I agonized over the perfect way to thank him for that. Perhaps with a cyanide pie in the face. <laughs> Or an exploding whoopee cushion playfully planted in the Batmobile. Let's move into our last review, Detective Comics number 872, written by Scott Snyder, art by Jacques, with the co-feature art by Francisco Francavilla. Uh, we start off with Batman, who is chasing someone known as William Rhodes, who has some information about this mirror house. Uh, Batman, coincidentally, is chasing him on a motorcycle that's actually only has one wheel, which that's just mentioned that because I found it very interesting. And they make sure to make you know that it was only one wheel that he was riding. Batman finds this William Rhodes character, William Rhodes attempts to shoot Batman through the roof and in turn he uh, ends up crashing into a thing blowing himself up. Then Dick goes off to Cord Tower to meet up with Oracle to talk about anything that she's found about the Mirror House. Turns out that uh, after uncovering a number of dummy companies she uh, was able to find information for the next 
auction that was t going to take place and says that she's going to line something up so that he can get in. We then cut to Dick in the bat suit at what appears to be the GCPD crime lab with Tim Drake walking in talking about something that Lucius Fox has been going on and on about and it appears to be some kind of clear thing that reflects a bunch of lights that you can actually make yourself appear to be somebody different. Dick Grayson goes to meet Commissioner Gordon who on top of the GCPD is not there but he does talk with Harvey Bullock, finds a number of different things, the Mirror House and the organization. It turns out it's been going on for a couple decades, and on top of that, they uh, tend to meet in places where horrible events have occurred. Dick gets a phone call from Oracle who says that she has got him his invitation in, and he's off to the auction house. When he arrives, they give him a gas mask to put on after they check his station. He puts the gas mask on and goes inside. There's a man at the front of the, the place, and it turns out the building that they are in was a uh, banquet hall that catered to the Gotham's upper crust and during the earthquake that we know happened in No Man's Land, a bunch of people were sealed in the building and half of them were trampled to death while the other half were burned alive. And they're all wearing gas masks because the room is full of poisonous gas that will cause hallucinations for the people in the room if they do not wear the gas masks. As it appears, the auction house person who's in charge gives a nice little background story about what he does, where he goes, and how much he enjoys coming to Gotham City. As it appears, the first item up for auction is the crowbar that supposedly killed Jason Todd way, way back in Lebanon, Peru. It hasn't been verified, but a number of people start bidding on it, and Dick knows that this is not true because he knows that that's not the right crowbar. As it turns out, the uh, auctioneer knows that Batman is in the room and knows that it is, in fact, a person wearing the mask as Dick Grayson. Dick Grayson begins to hallucinate, and the auctioneer tells everyone to attack Batman slash Dick Grayson. We then cut to the co-feature, which shows Oracle exactly after Dick Grayson leaves Cord Tower, and she gets uh, a visit from her father, Jim Gordon. They go to a diner, and they start to talk about how it could be possible that James Jr. is back in town. Barbara says uh, that she's... Not not very happy with him telling her this, and she wishes that he would have told her this sooner. As it turns out, uh, Barbara shares a little bit of information that we may not have known before. She says that James Jr. is in fact a killer. He's just very smart and has never left any proof, and that's why Jim Gordon is still convinced that he might not be a murderer. She then says that she only has two nightmares. One of them is the Joker coming in and shooting her, and the other one is staring across the lawn as she's a younger child looking at her brother James Jr. with a weird smile on his face. And Barbara at that point decides to leave. Commissioner Gordon stays behind. Waitress comes up and asks if she wants anything else and it's, it turns out James Jr. appears and sits down and says, Dad, it's been a while. And that's the end of the co-feature. Alright, so Detective Comics number 872. Overall, I think this was another great issue. The only complaint I had is I wish they would have told a little bit more about who the auctioneer is, but I guess either it's a brand new character and there's no reason to tell us who it is, or it's somebody that will be revealed in the future. It's just irrelevant at this point, I think. That's really the idea of why they really haven't gone into telling who it is at this point. It doesn't look like a character we've seen before, but we'll have to see. The one and only complaint I've had is it sometimes seems as if the inner monologue of Dick Grayson tends to be a little bit whiny. That may just be me, I don't know, 
but for some reason it just seems like his inner monologue seems as if he's just a little bit whiny or a little bit put off by everything that's going on. Um, the co-feature is amazing. It's, it's sad to say that they only have uh, this month of January to finish this co-feature. Hopefully it continues in the main feature because whatever's going on with James Jr. is going to be worth seeing. That's for sure. Uh, that's probably the thing I'm looking forward to the most as far as what's going on in Detective Comics. So overall, I'm going to give this four out of five batterings. This was a great issue. Very chilling. Uh, one of my only complaints is that I thought that that sequence at the end of uh, Dick slowly kind of getting out and then that auction house was dragged on a bit too much, but you can feel uh, the sense of horror during that. The co-feature was very, very good. That scene at the end where Jim Gordon's son sits down across from him, hello dad, that was chilling. And uh, the tension is even greater given how Barbara had just described him earlier that issue. Uh, I like that we're getting interactions with the different members of the back. Batman family. I like Dick and Barbara's discussion about, well, do you think that I'm, uh, is he too mobile? And, and and she says, you're asking that while you have one foot out the door. You know, moments like that I like undercut with the rest of the story. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff going on here. This is probably one of the best Batman books, if not the best ones out there right now. Five out of five batterings. I really thought that Snyder nailed Dick and Barbara's relationship right on the head. I and I felt the same way about the way Dick interacts with Tim Drake here and Harvey Bullock as well. And that's really surprising to me, not because you know I have no reason to think Scott Snyder is not a good writer, but he's never written any of these characters before, and it just seems like he's instantly come in and he just gets it. In some ways, this book has become a horror title, which is understandable given his history. But to me, what's really making the first arc so good is that he's created this Gotham City where everything we see is in darkness and everywhere seems like there's just danger waiting for Dick around the corner and it's just a really terrific atmosphere that he's put his stories in and I think that's really where Jock comes in because to me I feel like he's the perfect artist to draw that kind of stuff and I think this issue is really making him for me one of my favorite artists right now because so much of what he does relies on the mood and the tone I think him and Snyder working on this book is just a perfect fit dialogue can make or break issues with me and I don't feel like there's a line of dialogue wasted. Everything is important in developing the character's relationship and developing the plot further, which I think is a rarity. This story is moving very quickly, but it's at a, a really good pace. I thought the crowbar that the Joker used to be Jason Todd was a nice twist. I was really unprepared to see that. The co-feature continues to be equally as entertaining, if not more entertaining than the, the main feature. And the thing that really impresses me, though, about this particular issue of the co-feature is that all these characters do the whole time is talk. But he writes them so well that you get uncomfortable when they're talking about James just by listening to Barbara talk about it and I really think that continues to show that Scott Snyder gets these characters so well the scenes were written so well and I think that the information that we got was really needed and Francisco Francoville's artwork is a real standout and some of my favorite stuff that we are seeing in any of the books right now so overall I thought this was a just a great issue by this trio again five out of five batter ranks I have one and only complaint, and that's a minor one. I think, while I think the art is very good, mostly in the main feature, there are a couple of shots where Dick looks a little weird. I, I just think they a little too much realism in terms of a face. I'm, and that sounds kind of cheap to say, but uh, it, it, it looks it looks different. That's probably what I'm saying. I'm not really used to seeing Batman as this kind of rugged, but that's a personal thing. This is probably the best Batman story I've read since uh, Batman Robin 16 or Batman Confidential 49. I really enjoyed this. Excellent use of supporting characters, Bullock, Gordon, Babs Gordon, Tim Drake. 
I really like how Dick is being used in the story. I didn't think he was this whiny. Um, I mean that's that's just his prerogative. But I thought he was. I thought he was written fine here. Seeing the <laughs> seeing the crowbar that killed Jason Todd, I was stunned when I first saw that. That made my jaw drop. I thought the horror vibe at the very end with all the people in the mask was very very appropriate. The co-feature was great because I love that splash page of Batman leaping out and then just seeping into the co-feature, which is very quiet, very slow. But it had like four, three or four colors that were only used and to, to highlight the horror elements uh, underneath uh, James Jr. And I thought that was just brilliant. I just thought that this has just turned out to be one of the best Batman stories in a long time since before the whole status quo change. I'm giving this five out of five better ranks. All right, so that is going to give Detective Comics number 872 five out of five batarangs. All right, so that's all of our reviews. Let's throw it over to Nick with Bat Books for Beginners. there and welcome back to bat books for beginners my name is nick and welcome back to the bat books for beginners bat cave as i progress through the dark knight's career today i'm looking at a book called a lonely place of dying which was published in 1989 it collects uh, batman issues 440 through to 442 and the new titans 60 through to 61 it was written by Marv Wolfman, who's uh, known as a bit of a legend in the DC Comics, and who's currently involved with the DC Universe Online game. And the art is provided by Jim Aparo, another legend, and Mike DiCarlo. So since Jason Todd's death, Bruce has gone off the rails a little bit. Here's the next major chapter in the Batman family. I want to go. No. It's too dangerous. But I got a stake in this. I said no. Don't take it personally, lad. He's never been one for debate. It used to make Master Dick furious. Most unfortunate. returns from another mission bloodied and bruised and in need of serious medical attention. Alfred tends to him through the night and tells Bruce that since Jason's death, Bruce has changed. He's using his fists more than his brain. Bruce ignores this advice and sneaks out as Batman once again, making sure that he avoids Alfred. We also learn that a mysterious detective is trying to track down Dick Grayson as well as taking photos of Batman in action. And this young detective tracks Dick Grayson to Haley's circus. Dick is taking a break from the superhero game and revisits his old circus. He joins for a small time and there's even a murder at the circus. Tim Drake, this young mysterious detective, arrives and deduces who was responsible for the murder. Tim then talks to Dick, showing him his own photos of Batman brutally beating villains to a pulp. He also reveals that he knows all the info about Batman, Dick, Jason, Todd, and knows all their secret identities. He tries to convince Dick that Batman needs a Robin, and Dick must return to his former role. Dick brings Tim back to Wayne Manor, and Tim explains to Alfred and Dick how he knows their secret. 
As a young boy, Tim was taken to Haley Circus by his parents, and he met the Flying Graysons. During the show, Tim watched Dick perform and witnessed Dick's parents die in front of him, and Batman showed up to comfort Dick Grayson. Years later, Tim saw Batman and Robin on the news fighting the Penguin, and Tim recognised Dick's acrobatics and knew he was Robin. From there, he pieced together that Bruce Wayne was Batman and that Jason Todd became Robin and died, and Tim reiterates to Dick that Batman needs a Robin, but Dick refuses and goes to find Bruce as Nightwing. Nightwing finds Bruce, who has tracked down Two-Face to a safe house. Two-Face has been tempting Batman with crimes for days, and Batman's finally tracked him down. Nightwing and Batman investigate the house and analyse some clues that they find, but Two-Face has laid a trap and blows up the building with both of them inside. They're trapped and helpless. Alfred, meanwhile, back at the Batcave, is with Tim and receives an emergency signal and decides that they must do something. Tim puts on the Robin costume, confronts Two-Face with the help of Alfred, disposes of Two-Face temporarily, rescues Bruce and Dick, and Bruce is not happy to see a new Robin and is not interested in discussing this situation, stating that one boy died in that costume and it will not happen again. They all pursue Two-Face and eventually capture him. Tim tries to talk to Bruce about Batman needing a Robin, and Dick and Alfred are impressed with Tim. Bruce decides to give him a chance. Please, Master Timothy, not the explosives. Sorry. Now, to get the maximum enjoyment out of this book, I think it's obvious that you must have read all the backstories. And if you've been keeping up with me and Bat Books for Beginners, you'll be sorted out for that, so that's not a problem. Now, I thought this story was fairly um, simple, um, but also had a, a great excitement about it all the way through. Um, Tim Drake, firstly, has one thing over Jason Todd and Dick Grayson, the other the other Robins that we've had in the past. Jason and Dick earned the job because they were children of misfortune. Um, Jason's parents were killed and he was forced to steal. Dick's parents died in that of famous acrobatic accident. Tim Drake, however, earns the role by proving himself as a great detective. And um, that's a character trait that we're going to see a lot more of, I think, from Tim Drake. And it's interesting to see how he's earned that role through a different uh, way from the other previous Robins. So I think it's a very good origin story for Tim. It really shows his great traits and character. And we are yet to see his flaws, but I'm sure they'll arise as we move along. I thought Alfred had some good character moments in this story, with uh, Bruce in particular when he was telling him that he's changed too much. Um, you can see how much they, Alfred cares for Bruce. I think it's a very good, good moment there. Uh, I thought the circus murder uh, halfway through this with Dick Grayson was a little bit of a dull storyline and a bit of a time waster. It didn't transition smoothly because we had Batman issues and Teen Titan issues and the transition from the two of them as the story went along was not very smooth at all. I didn't know these characters well at all from the Teen Titans and I didn't really care about them and they didn't add anything to the story. Why they didn't just put this into... The Batman series, I don't know, but they decided to cross it over, which I thought brought the book down a little bit. I thought there were some good moments where Batman and Two-Face are trying to figure each other out and trying to see what their plans are going to be. Uh, there's good writing here, good art here with a symmetrical style, uh, very Two-Face-like in that uh, symmetrical style. And it just showed Two-Face is a bright villain. He's got some brains. He's not just a thug. Uh... And we see, again, Tim's detective skills obvious from the start. But Dick and Alfred are, I thought, a little bit too willing to let Tim into the Batcave. Um, Tim Drake seems to know their secrets, and they instantly admit to it and let him into the Batcave. I thought it was a little bit too easy to get in there, maybe. 
Uh, there was a very good twist at the end involving the Joker, which I don't want to spoil here, but I um, wasn't expecting it, really liked it. And I always think it's it's odd that Two-Face has always been involved with uh, the Robin, Robin's origin story. I don't know if that's a strange coincidence or they feel that's a good start for his for their first test. I'm not sure, but Two-Face has always been there when a new Robin has arrived. So I thought this was a good launch pad for a new era of Batman, a new era of the dynamic duo. But of course we're yet to see, will Tim Drake last as Robin? My money's betting that he will, but we'll see. Robin has returned, an exciting new character to join the Batman family, and I'll be giving this book four out of five Batarangs. <laughs> it's been a long time, bird boy. Let the kid go, Two-Face. Make one move and I'll wring his feathered little neck. Not that it's going to matter in about one minute. Plenty of time. So now we have a new Robin. Um, as the Batman family expands, next time we'll be going back to a classic villain who will be entering the fray. With a dastardly new plan, the Penguin plans to take control of the city. Can Batman and his potential new partner stop him? Find out next time on Bat Books for Beginners. I've been Nick, and I'll now I'll send you back to Dustin and the guys. See ya. Follow the rules. Rule number one, you give me everything you've got. Rule number two, then you give me more. And rule number three, I make the rules. All right, so that was Bat Books for Beginners. Let's go over what we'll be covering next time on the podcast. We'll be covering Batgirl number 17, Batman and Robin number 19, Birds of Prey number 8, Knight and Squire number 4, Red Robin number 19, Batman number 706, Batman Odyssey number 6, Batman Streets of Gotham number 19, and Superman Batman number 80. So that's pretty much everything for this episode. I uh, do want to just throw out a quick call out. Uh, Zach is actually going to be leaving the comic cast, but he will be going over to the normal cast full time. So we want to thank Zach for being on the comic cast for all of this very long period of time that he's been on it. Well, thank you for having me. Yes. Uh, so you guys can catch him on the normal cast full time. Uh, he's going to be dedicating his time to the normal cast instead of the comic cast. But we will have, in fact, a new co-host. We've been getting some emails. We need to spread some uh, English blood around here. So we have, <laughs> have an Eng- Englishman who's going to be coming on to the show. His name is Joe, and he's going to be joining us on the next comic cast. He's going to be joining myself. Josh and Don. So it'll be the four of us, and that's all the announcements we've got. You can send us an email at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. You can leave us a review on iTunes. You can follow all the daily news on the website, as well as join the forums to talk with other bad fans. So that's everything for this episode. This is Dustin. You got Josh. This is Zach. This is Don. And you've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Or will you? So long and take care. Bye-bye, Zach. Bye-bye, everybody.
sirens on the background? No. Okay, now I do. It's the Gotham City sirens. Hello. You missed my awesome pun, Donovan. Oh boy. There's sirens blaring in the background. So, you can imagine that I said it was the Gotham City sirens. Ah, so it must be five women a man. <laughs> of course. And this is, in fact, Zach's last comic cast. It is? What? That's why there are flowers on the table for him. Well, what, I, you know, I think I remember hearing something about this. He's moving to the normal cast. Was that it? Or... Yeah. <laughs> because he hates all the comics. Or something like that. We're, we're, we're swapping him with, um, I guess, one of those new guys that sent in an audition. Yep. Oh. Well, that'll suck without Zach. That's true. Well, it'll just be everybody agreeing with everybody now. <laughs> That's a true one. Zach, I will live on in your memory... Yeah. Disagreeing yeah. with them. <laughs> I I appreciate it. Great controversy when not, when possible. Yeah. Just pretend he never he was never on the show to begin with. No, this is this is like chess. Like me and Donovan on the other side of the podcast, we're like go one step closer. So we're gonna cover those. We have a bad books for beginners, and then we will be done with this episode. And you can let's just cut that part out. That, that's, that was that wasn't going anywhere. It wasn't going anywhere. Okay, so looks like Batman: The Dark Knight is going to have six issue arcs, which you don't see that very often. Um, Real? Are, can... you, are you being serious? Yeah. What, when was the last time you saw a six issue arc that wasn't a mini series? I guess I mean, yeah, maybe maybe in the Batman universe, not a lot, but that seems to be the standard for most comic books storylines because of trades yeah well this is awkward okay well I'm going to say exactly the same thing I just said yeah dudes don't let, don't let him screw with your idea <laughs> I'm not say what you know I, 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 I that, that's a legitimate thing like six issues I've never seen it okay I, 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 given I don't read a thousand comic books that aren't Batman related but when was the last time I, I saw a Batman story arc that lasted six issues that wasn't a miniseries I haven't the ball's in your court Batgirl Rising Batgirl Rising? I don't know if that... That was the first story. I don't know if that was six issues. I just... It was four. It was, okay. Yeah. I've never seen anything more than four. Batgirl Rising. <clears throat> pulling the flood. Alright, anyway. <laughs> so six issue story... <clears throat> okay, well, let me ask you this. Is that something common over at Marvel? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, so him coming from Marvel, that could explain. You could use that. Alright, so, uh, as a complete side note, most uh, trade paperbacks in the DC Universe are 128 pages long, which means they're a collection of four issues at a time. Damn. Damn. What? <laughs> <laughs> 